So should I go back to the puppets? An Old Testament professor once said, if you like Amos, you don't understand him. Um, and after working with passages from the book that bears his name, I completely agree. Amos is serious, deadly serious, and if his words don't shake us up a little well, we're not paying attention. So some context. Following the death in 922 BC of its third king, Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel and whose capital was Samaria, and the smaller southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem. Some 170 years later, Amos appeared on the scene, the earliest of the Old Testament prophets whose words were written down, probably by their disciples in the books that bear their names. When we read the prophets, it's important to understand that they are preaching in a historical context for a particular time and place. For Amos, the place was the northern kingdom of Israel, specifically in Bethel, one of Israel's religious centers. And the time was a time of relative peace and prosperity during the reign of King Jeroboam II. It's also important to understand that the job of the prophets was not to predict the future. They were not fortune tellers. Rather, they served as messengers who relayed the word of God to God's people. And they did so with passion and power none more so than Amos, who was sent from his home in Judah to bear a message to the people of Israel. Though he did not speak of a covenant, Amos clearly understood that Israel and the Lord were bound together in a special relationship, a relationship grounded in the divine act that had freed Israel from slavery in Egypt thousands of years before, and that had been shaped by the giving of the law. This relationship had its ups and downs, for despite their promise to obey, God's people often neglected both the law and their God. Though Israel was often unfaithful, however, God was not. And by God's grace and mercy, the relationship held together, at least until now. For the message that Amos brings is a terrible one, a message of God's judgment on his wayward people. The eighth chapter brings us the fourth of five visions, in each of which God shows Amos an image that offers a warning. In contrast to the previous three images, images of a plague of locusts, of heat and drought, of a plumb line set against a crooked wall, which we looked at last week, the one that we look at this week seems fairly innocuous, a basket of fruit that has been picked at the end of the summer harvest. And if you look at the picture on the front of your bulletin, you'll see a basket of fruit, and it's beautiful. It's lovely. It makes you want to just take a bite. Until you realize that the Hebrew word for fruit both looks and sounds like, sounds very similar to the Hebrew fruit word for end. Let me say that again. The Hebrew word for fruit both looks and sounds very similar to the Hebrew word for end. In what is perhaps the most chilling statement of the entire book, God says to Amos, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. Or as the New Jerusalem Bible translates, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will not continue to overlook their offenses. And what were those offenses? They were numerous. 
During his prophetic career, Amos denounced the West wealthy who ignored the needs of the poor, the injustice of the courts, and the corruption in both political and religious institutions. In this passage, however, his target is the marketplace, and his words hit home. He decries the merchants who pretend to be devout, but who can hardly wait for the Sabbath in so that they can go out and make a profit, who shortchange their customers with undersized containers. If you ever have looked at how small containers of food are getting these days, you can relate to that and who overcharge them by using weights. They would measure out payment with weights that were just slightly heavier than they should be, and who cheated others by mixing chaff with the wheat that they sold. Amos accuses them of buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and warns of the wrath to come. Hear you who trample on the needy and bring ruin to the poor of the land. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it? As we know all too well, what happens in the marketplace in the economy affects all of our society, and this was true for Israel as well. In the eyes of God, however, it was not just the merchants who were at fault. The responsibility to care for the poor and the needy was the responsibility of all of Israel, and all of Israel will suffer the consequences of their neglect. Those consequences are terrible indeed. Instead of hymns, the temple will resound with wailings, Feasting will turn into mourning, and the only songs that will be sung will be those of lamentation. The grief of the people will be as deep as the grief felt at the loss of an only child, and even the environment will be affected by the sins of the people. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And that is not all. Much earlier... Amos had offered the people a slim word of hope. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord of hosts will be with you just as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now it seems that hope is lost. And Amos prophesies with a terrible finality. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. It is a devastating prophecy. The end has come upon God's people and God's response to their grief and suffering will be silence. I can't, I don't want to imagine such an experience of abandonment. At the same time, I know that there are those among us who have experienced time when pleas for help and healing and understanding seemed to fall on deaf ears and God seemed indeed to be silent. To long for hope or comfort and not to receive it, Amos' words are terrifying. And yet, 
When I read this passage, I cannot help but think of words spoken by another prophet, the one who is called the Word of God, and whose life, in whose life, death, and resurrection, we have been given hope. And those words are, ask, and you will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and for everyone who knocks, the doors will be open. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, indeed. Nevertheless, Amos' prophecies are also the word of God. And I think that we are remiss if we do not pay attention to his words, as difficult as they are, for he speaks truth. As uncomfortable it as is, it is important for us to find the courage, no, the guts, to listen, really listen to the message that he, that he proclaims, to let his words jar us out of our complacency so that we might dare to search our hearts and to ask ourselves how we are responding to the word of the Lord that has been given to us. How are we helping our neighbors who are in need? How are we promoting justice for the poor and the oppressed? How are we loving others as we love ourselves? Are we truly following Jesus who spent his ministry caring for us in need and who calls us to do the same? Okay, at this point, I have a feeling some of you are ready to head for the door. <laughs> Amos is pretty challenging. But I believe that we have been given to will, the will to respond to his words and to the call of Christ because we have the promise of Christ that God is in fact with us and will help us if we are willing to ask and search and knock. Unless we come to see Amos only as a prophet of doom, we need to hear the final words of his book. Though in his eyes, the catastrophe that will befall Israel is unavoidable, at the very end is written these words. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall overtake the one who reaps, and the treader of the grapes, the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall plant gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land, and they will never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. In his commentary on this passage, Professor Samuel Gere quotes Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who wrote these words in response to Amos. What hidden bond exists between the word of wrath and the word of compassion, between consuming fire and everlasting love? We will have to look for prophetic coherence, not in what the prophet says, but of whom he speaks. Indeed, not even the word of God is the ultimate object and theme of his consciousness. The ultimate object and theme of his consciousness is God, of whom the prophet knows that above his judgment and above his anger stands his mercy. 
Dr. Gear adds this. For the Christian, it also seems reasonable and faithful to understand that God's mercy converges with and triumphs over God's judgment in the cross of Christ. With echoes of Amos 8-9, Luke's description of the moment of Jesus' death, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land and the curtain, and in the, until three in the afternoon while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In this moment of the ripening of the sins of the world, God's mercy triumphs over the Lord's judgment. Again, I say, thanks be to God. Today, as we gather around the communion table, we will remember that Jesus Christ, the word of God, gave his life for us. As we share the bread and cup, that he offers us, may we hear and respond to his call to seek justice for those in need. And may we also remember that through the Holy Spirit, through God's grace, through God's word itself, God gives us both the courage to do what we can and the power to do more than we think we can. In Christ's name. Thanks be to God again. Amen.